0: So we're on the fourth challenge. And so uh, we've talked through all of these challenges. We said challenge number one. Does anybody remember what challenge number one was? Anybody? 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 Come and see. Right. It's all about experiencing Jesus in a real way that that right from the beginning, even before we even before we believe, even before we serve him, even before we follow him, um, that we need to experience him. The Bible says that it's the spirit of God that draws us to the father. Right. It's that experience that draws us to a place. Does anybody remember what number two was? Follow me. My parents are on it today. They are good at listening to my messages. My wife is sitting next to them. She is silent. She doesn't remember the messages herself. But my parents know she's whispering it to you. I know that's a lot because you wouldn't be able to hear her whisper. Um, and so number two is follow me. That it's important for us to understand that not only do we experience Christ, but now we have to follow him. And we said that a lot of times in church, the struggle is number two. That it's real easy to come to church and experience. It's easy to experience the the people of God. It's easy to experience what God has for us and his blessings. But it's hard sometimes to follow him because following Christ means we have to change. Jesus said you have to die every day if you want to follow me. That you can't live the same life you used to live. you got to live a life patterned after mine. And his way isn't always easy. And then we talked last week, number three, I'm not going to embarrass myself by asking, um, but number three was that we've got to be fishers of men, that that there are gifts and talents that God has put inside of you, that not only do we follow Christ, but we also serve him by, by, by reaching the lost, right? By using the gifts and the talents that he's put inside of us to touch other people's lives. And we said last week that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so it's, it's up to us to be those workers, right? And so today we're going to finish with one of the last things he told his disciples before he went to heaven. And it's found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So this is going to be our main verse today. We're going to stay here. We're going to just go through this verse kind of, kind of phrase by phrase. So it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So let's start right from the very beginning. The first thing Jesus says is, I have been given given all authority in heaven and earth, therefore go. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing you need to understand is that Jesus wants you to go. And the word go there means action, right? He's got something for you to do. But if you look back in front of that, it says, I have been given all authority. So when he says go, he's speaking go from a place of authority. Therefore, it's a commandment, not a suggestion. We need to understand something today. When Jesus says for you to go and make disciples... This is not something that is just for the select few. This is for all of us, and it's a commandment. Sometimes whenever you go to these stores, nowadays, uh, yesterday I went to a, uh, I had to take my son to get fitted for a tux. He's going to be in a wedding, and and so whenever we get to the store to get fitted for the tux, we we walk up, and there's a sign on the the thing that says, um, face mask required, it probably didn't say face mask, it said mask required to come in. Have you ever seen, this is totally off subject, but have you ever seen one of those signs that says mask required and you want to just go get like a Jason mask and put it on and walk in? I do sometimes. Um, That would be so funny. I need to go to a Halloween store and get like the most crazy mask. Oh, you said mask. Anyways, so it said mask required. So we're like, oh man, we don't even have masks. So let's go back to the car. So we go back to the car and we scrounge up some masks, which is not good because most of the time I find them under the seat. And they're old and dirty and they smell bad. So we found some old dirty face masks. We put them on. We walked back in the store only to figure out that whenever you go in the store, not a single worker or customer has a mask. We are the only people in the room with the mask on and our masks smell funny. And so we walk in and I was like, "Uh, yep, that's going in my pocket. And so, um, so they had something that was on the door that said it's required. But they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. Right? And what we do is we read the words of Christ, and it says, All authority has been given to me, therefore you go. And we think, just like the mask requirement, we think it doesn't really apply because no one's really doing it. It's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Otherwise, he would have said, You know what a good idea is, guys? Here's a really great idea. Instead, he said, All authority. I've always wondered why did he have to lead with all authority? He had to lead because he had to make sure that these guys understood what the words that were coming next. That's why he says, therefore, therefore, go and make disciples. It's a commandment to you and I to go and make disciples. So the next part of that is make disciples, right? So we have to go, and then secondly, we have to make disciples. And I want to look at this one for just a minute. We're going to hang out here a little bit longer because it's important for you to see something. That the word make and the word disciples are both important in this, in this phrase. The word make means uh, to, to develop a process or create a path for someone to become something. And in other words, it is not a one-time, hey, you're a disciple. It is a process that someone has to go through. Sometimes I think in church, we think as long as you pray the prayer, as long as you do the magic uh, trick, as long as you say the magic words, that all of a sudden you become a disciple of Christ. But the fact is, Jesus says it's not just a prayer, it's a process. It's something we got to go through. It's something we got to help people through. It's not a matter of me just getting up on a stage and yelling out words from the Bible and all of a sudden your life is transformed. No, 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 no. It's me and you sitting down and working through issues and working through life together and me helping you develop into what God's called you to be. That's why we've got one, two, three, four. If you hadn't noticed yet, this is a process that we've put together that we've noticed from the Bible that we could all be working through. The thing is, it's like this. It starts off with you experiencing Christ. So you come in, you experience. You may not know him yet, but at least you're experiencing him. Then you decide to follow him. You make the decision to go after God with everything that you've got. Then. What happens? You decide to be used by God to reach the lost people. Then what happens? Then you start reproducing yourself and other people by being a disciple maker. So so from here, you start all over because now I'm going and grabbing people and saying, hey, just come experience God. Come with me and experience who Jesus is. And then we start leading them through the follow and through the and, and it's a cycle. It's a process that needs to happen. That's what Jesus did. That's what we should do. The other thing it says there is make disciples. Notice it doesn't say make converts. It doesn't say make converts. It never says go get a bunch of people saved. He never says go have a big tent revival and just get a bunch of people saved. It doesn't say get get hooked up with Billy Graham. Nothing wrong with Billy Graham. Get hooked up with Billy Graham and, and just get a bunch of people down to an altar. I've seen a lot of churches, myself included in this, where, where we focus so much on how many people got saved this year. I, I've seen reports in, in, um, in when we're non-denominational church, but when, when I've been in my past, I've been in different um, churches that were in a denomination. And I remember the pastor telling me, we, how many people got saved? And I say why do you want to know? And he'd say, because we've got to send a report to our denomination of how many people gave their heart to Jesus Christ this year. And I thought, that's great, that's wonderful, let's do this, let's write down the numbers. And then all of a sudden I started realizing, because I was a children's pastor, and, um, and when I started thinking about being a children's pastor, did you know that 90% of the kids in children's church get saved every week? If you have 20 kids in children's church, like 18 of them are going to get saved every single Sunday. It's amazing the numbers you can produce. Unfortunately, we don't live our life by a bunch of numbers, right? And so here's what John 15:16 says. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. Billy Graham says this, or he doesn't say anymore he's dead, but his organization says this. It says that, that of the thousands of people that get saved at his meetings, 3% are still serving God after one year. Three percent are still serving God after one year. Now we can say, we can say, oh well, that 97 percent, they were just emotional and they just made a decision and they didn't really mean it, and they weren't really saved. You know what You know what that line of thinking is? It's an excuse for us not making disciples. That's all it is. If someone gets saved, if someone gets their heart to Christ, if someone decides to follow him and they're still not serving Him after a year, it's not because it didn't really happen. It's because nobody followed up on them. It's because nobody took them to the side and helped them and walked them through a process. I can say that and you think, well, you're being mean towards Billy Graham. No, I, I've, I've helped in, in, in Billy Graham and Franklin Graham ministries. I've helped those things, and, and they're the ones that told us that stat. And they're the ones that gave us material and said, hey, here's some material to help disciple people after the crusade. Speaking of crusades, one time when I was a kid and we lived in Costa Rica, um, I, I remember my dad telling the story. I thought it was really funny. But uh, a, a big evangelist came down to Costa Rica and they had a big, you know, revival and, and big crusade and a soccer stadium full of people. And And um, it's amazing the things you remember now when you're on stage. Uh, because I remember we we went to these big crusades and both of my parents went and worked in the crusade, in another country. Let me just rephrase that. In another country. And while we're in the other country, you'll see why I'm saying this. My parents left me in the vehicle by myself at six years old because I was tired and I wanted to sleep in the car while they went inside. Can you imagine? There's some of you who wouldn't leave your kid in the nursery today. And, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not talking to y'all. Um, but there's some people as people are with their babies like, hey, you jerk. Um, there's some people, we won't leave our kid in a nursery at church. My parents left me in a car by myself at six years old in another country. That's crazy. They, they were like, I hope someone takes him. Um, <laughs> but it was so funny because the, the guy was preaching, the American guy was preaching, and the, and the um, Costa Rican guy was translating, and, and they asked, I think my dad told me the story, they asked um, some of the people, they were like, hey, how did you enjoy the crusade? And they said, the crusade was really, really good. Except for the American that kept interrupting the speaker, I just thought that was really funny they didn 't understand translating um, so, so the Bible says this it says you 've got to have lasting fruit there 's a story i read uh, there's a story I read about a man and um, and, and he was a, he was a preacher and, and he was always trying to win the loss and always trying to get people converted to christ and and so one day he 's he's driving down this particular road that he typically drove down, and as he's driving down the road, he sees a guy hitchhiking on the side of the road, or walking on the side of the road, and, and he often would pick up hitchhikers because he wanted to tell them about Jesus, and so this particular guy was a caddy at the local golf course and was just walking to work, and so the guy pulls over and invites him into his vehicle to take him to work, and, and as they're going to the golf course, the, the preacher pulls out a, a track. Y'all know what tracks? Some of y'all don't know what tracks. Tracks are a little pamphlet that tell you about Jesus. And so he pulls out this little pamphlet and he gives it to the guy. And the guy looks at it and he goes, hey, don't I know you? And the guy, they look at each other and he says, you gave me one of these a year ago when I was walking down this same road. And, and a year earlier, the guy had given him a track and had prayed the prayer and had told him about Jesus, but now this guy wasn't serving God at all. And the preacher thought, I've done this man a disservice because all I've done is helped him to understand who Jesus is, but I never helped him develop a relationship with him. And so it's important for us to understand that a disciple is different than a convert, a disciple is someone that's a learner. Actually, the definition of disciple is learner. Some, some translations say uh, they use the word apprentice because in a, a disciple is more like an apprentice than it is even just a student. If you've ever had someone that was an apprentice and a, and a mentor, what, what happens in that situation is, is the apprentice has to sit underneath the mentor and learn from the mentor for a period of time before they're released on their own. So, you see a lot of people apprentice in things like woodworking or um, electronics. They, they apprentice under somebody. And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody, I, I, these are some of the, the definitions that I, whenever I looked up the word disciple in the Greek, here's some of the definitions that came out a learner um, to mature in the truth of Scripture and the lifestyle required of it. In other words, a scholar and a disciple can be two different things. A scholar can know everything about the gospel. A disciple not only knows it, but lives it out. It says this, a follower of Christ in belief and in practice. So it's important that we understand that not only are we commanded to go, but we're commanded to make a process, right, of disciples. Someone that not only understands who God is, but lives for God every day. The third, uh, the third one is this. So let's go back to Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples, what? Of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Let me just throw this in as kind of a side note. One of the things Perry told me one time is, is she was really um, kind of stressed out about having, you know, working a job and having a family and, and then helping at church and just, just her life had all this so many irons in the fire. And, and she said that, that in that stress one time, God told her, he said, the most important disciples that you'll ever make are the ones living under your roof. So let me just say right from the beginning, before we get into this all nations thing, you need to understand today that the most important disciples you'll ever have in your life are the ones that live in the house with you. Your spouse, your kids, um, for some of you, maybe even parents. You know, you may be the one serving God in your, in your home and your parents aren't. These are the most important disciples that you'll ever make. But here's what I want to look at. The word all nations here means, means this. It, it's an idea of relationships anywhere and everywhere. Uh, I, the word that I want to use today is called divine appointments. Divine appointments. In other words, there's no relationship that you have in life that's on accident. That God brings people into your life for a reason every single time. There aren't people I just bump into for nothing. Now, whether or not I act on it is up to me. But God is constantly putting people in our path for a reason. For a reason. And and there's a story about this in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. We're not going to do all of that. Some of you immediately were like, whoa, that's 14 verses. I can't do that. It's okay. I'm going to shorten it up to three. We're going to do 29 through 31. But here's what I want to say. So there's there's this apostle, this disciple of Christ. His name is Philip. Now, Philip's been out preaching, he's been out doing the things, and and, and he's living the life, and he's being what God wants him to be. As a matter of fact, Philip would go into towns, and he would preach the gospel, and people would get saved. And then, the head of the church would send in guys like Peter to teach them about the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't like Philip only got to give them half of the gospel, then he had to leave, so Peter could come in and give them the rest of the gospel. And it was just an interesting way, for some of us that might hurt our feelings, but Philip was cool with it, apparently. So Philip is leaving a town where he just got a bunch of people saved, and he's just walking down the road. And as he's walking down the road, the Bible says that there was an Ethiopian eunuch. And he was somebody in the Ethiopian government. Like, he was, he was a somebody. And so he's riding along um, and, and being pulled along in his, uh, in his chariot or his, or his whatever. And so as he, his carriage, the Bible says, as he's going along, um, Philip can hear the guy reading, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. So, this is an Ethiopian reading the Jewish uh, Bible, and as he's reading along, Philip hears it, and here's what happens. Check this out this is so cool. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. A couple of quick little notes here on discipleship that I noticed from this story. Now, later on, the guy gets saved. He gives his heart to Jesus Christ. He gets baptized. It was his idea. Like, they're literally riding down the road, and he sees some water, and he's like, shouldn't I just go get baptized right now? And Philip's like, yeah, man, let's do this thing. So they jump out, and they go get baptized. It's a really cool story. But here's something I noticed. Watch this. Philip. Philip approaches the potential disciple. He is doing what? He is going, and he realizes, I see this man. This is not an accident. The Holy Spirit said, it's no accident that this Ethiopian is right beside you. Go talk to the Ethiopian. Just go get near him. Go talk to him. Then I want you to notice the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian says, no, I don't understand it. There's nobody to teach me. There's nobody here to mentor me. There's nobody here to disciple me. And then he urges, he urges Philip to get up in the carriage with him. Sometimes I think both sides have some issues. Some of us struggle sometimes to reach out and disciple other people. Sometimes we struggle to reach out and build that relationship with that person that might be struggling or needs Uh, needs a mentor, needs someone to teach him. But then on the flip side, there's others of us that sit back needing a mentor, and we sit back and say, I sure do wish someone would come mentor me. This Ethiopian urged Philip. He put himself in Philip's life. As soon as he recognized this guy is a potential mentor for me, I am going to do whatever it takes to get him into my life. Can I tell you something this morning? If you're struggling in life, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in your finances, if you're struggling with your spiritual walk, I want to encourage you today. Don't wait for someone to come disciple you. Put yourself in someone else's life. Put yourself in someone's life. Invite someone to take you out to eat. No, invite someone to go out to eat. I can't invite you to take me out to eat. That would be that would be backwards. But if I was struggling with something and I needed help with something, I need to call Jonathan and I say, hey, man, can we go to lunch? I'll pay. Can we go to coffee? I'll buy you coffee. Can we do something? I just need to take if I could just have an hour of your time. And here's the issues I'm going through. Can you help me? Find that person. A mentor is always looking for a hungry learner and a hungry learner puts themselves in the life of a mentor. A mentor should be always looking for a hungry learner. All nations, divine appointments. But a hungry learner should always be putting themselves in the life of a mentor. There's been plenty of times I've called my dad. Plenty of times I've called my dad. Hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's here's what I need help with. There's plenty of times I sit down with Jonathan. Hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I need help with. Even my own wife. Yeah, but Gabriel, y'all are supposed to be equals. Well that's not how it works there are aspects of her life where she's a way better disciple than i am and so i need to learn from her and so i put myself in the life of these people as a coach um, as a fitness coach i understand i don't know everything just because i went and got some kind of certificate just because they printed something out and said hey congratulations you're a coach you can pass a test doesn't mean that i'm an expert in fitness So what do I do? I have to go to Andrew. I have to go to Sophia. I have to say, hey, you guys, I need y'all to help me. How do I teach this? How do I watch for this? I'm constantly having to put myself in a position of being a disciple, as well as I'm always having to look out for people that are hungry. Um, I, I I was telling someone the other day, I said, I get so excited when people are new to the faith because they're so hungry to learn. And I love to sit down with people that are hungry. I love to sit down with people that are hungry, and I love to give them whatever I can give them. It's so much fun. The next thing it says this in Matthew 20, and we're almost done. I got like two more things. In Matthew 28, 20, it says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So the next thing we have to do is we have to teach them. Like, we got to teach people. Um, I, I'm going to just give you a couple little thoughts on teaching, and then we'll jump to the last thing. To, to teach, uh, the, the Greek word for teach here is used 220 times in the New Testament. It's a pretty important thing. It also has to do with your words. That, that teaching has to do with me speaking to you. So so the question I want to ask you today is. What are your conversations about with people? Like whenever you're talking to your kids. If the only thing G2 and I ever talk about is football. Then guess what? I'm being a great, I'm being a great mentor for him in the realm of sports. But I'm being a very poor mentor for him in the realms of, realms of spirituality. The fact is. We don't know if he'll ever be a professional athlete or work in sports. But I know for a fact, he's going to go to judgment one day before God. So which one am I developing him for? The one that may not happen or the one that absolutely will happen? So what are your conversations about with people? Um, In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. It's important that we're teaching people. It's important that we um, explore the word of God together. It's important that we're asking questions and learning with each other. This is key. Some of you say, how can I be a better dad? How can I be a better uh, mom? How can I be a better spouse? Let me tell you how. Learn how to disciple and teach your family and your kids. Perry and I have been talking about this lately, about just revamping how we do stuff at home. So she and I have been trying to do like a, a devotional. We try to do a devotional every night. It, it, it worked for some devotionals and other devotionals we kind of lost interest in. And I said, why don't we just revamp and let's do this. Let's have one night where you and I have a devotional that's, that's powerful and it's good and something we can chew on for the rest of the week. And, and she was like, and let's do that with the kids. Let's find a devotional and have one night where we can really dig in, where we're not just throwing something out there. Why? Because we think it's important for us to disciple each other and disciple our kids. That's huge. That's so what's got to happen. The second thing on discipling people and teaching, you got to teach them. But you also have to model, right? Jesus said, teach them to obey all the commandments I gave you. If you're not living it, don't expect other people to live it too. We have to learn to hold ourselves to a higher standard. To, be, to make a disciple, I have to first be a disciple. If I'm not following Christ, if I'm not trying to live like Christ, then I can't tell you how to live like Christ. Are you saying you've got to be perfect? I'm not saying you got to be perfect. I am saying you have to be mature. I am saying there has to be a level that you got to be at that's different than everybody else. When you step on this stage, one of the things we talk about with the speaking team and we talk about with the worship team is we say this. When you step on this stage, for whatever reason, whether it's true or not, everybody in the audience immediately views you as a leader and an example. So it's important that you live your life in such a way that, that people would follow you it's the same way with any job if you get a promotion to manager you can't act like you're just a regular worker anymore now all of a sudden you live up to a different standard than everybody else does does that mean i'm being fake no absolutely not it means you're being mature and complete which is what the bible says we should be you've got to grow into new standards new levels and that's what we want to be the bible says this in first corinthians 11 1. paul says and you should imitate me just as i imitate christ That should scare you just a little bit. The thought of me telling somebody, I want you to imitate my life, should scare me just a little bit. Because all of a sudden, I've got this responsibility to do what? To imitate Christ. So I've got to be constantly looking at my life and saying, hey, is this the right standard? Is is what I'm doing, is the way I'm living, is the way I'm talking, is the way I'm thinking, are the websites I'm going to, are the TV shows I'm watching, are the movies I'm watching, are these living up to a standard that I would want my son to imitate? That I would want my brother-in-law to imitate? That I would want anybody in this room to imitate? saying, Gabriel, that's, that's too much. That's why we said this one is so hard. Because the path to Christ is narrow and it's windy and it ain't easy because there's stuff that's got to change. Philippians 4, nine says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Learned, received, heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. One of the interesting things that I found out when my wife started teaching teaching. Um, she, she teaches in the, in the Mountain Brook school system. She used to teach in Hoover. And she shifted over to Mountain Brook one day. And, um, and, and whenever she did, they started giving her some of the rules for being a teacher. And one of the rules that they, that they gave her was if you're ever out in public and you take a picture of yourself and you post it on social media, make sure. Now, this is a, this is a secular school. This is not a Christian school. It's, you know, city school. Make sure there's no drinks on the table behind you if you're in a restaurant. Make sure there's nothing in your hand. Why? Because as a teacher, there's a certain standard that she has to live up to. Now, they're not dictating what she does. They just said when you take the picture... So she went out to eat, the first time she found out about this, she went out to eat with the other teachers in her group, and they went to take a picture, a little selfie of themselves. And before they did, one of the veteran teachers at that school said, whoa, 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 let's clean the table. And they start taking everything off the table. They move all the, no, look, she wasn't drinking anything bad. It's like sweet tea. But she said, nobody's going to know in the picture what's on the table. And the, the school system wants us to live up to a standard that says we There's nothing that they can look at that these kids and parents are going to look at and and blame us for or say something about us. I thought that was very interesting for a secular group to say that. Why? Because we are constantly being watched by other people. It's not a matter of being fake. It's a matter of understanding that there's always somebody watching your life. There's always somebody watching your life. That somebody, you may think, nobody's watching me. As soon as you put yourself in a place of authority, as soon as you put yourself in a place of leadership, even if it's just, just in talking to somebody or dealing with somebody, all of a sudden they start watching your life very closely. So what does that mean? Does that mean that, that you've got a list of rules and regulations that we have to follow? Absolutely not. I have Jesus, and you've got to follow him. But here's the thing. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. And what the Word of God says is the way you live your life. Period. That's the way we do it here. We follow what the word of God says. But we want to maintain that level. The third thing in teaching somebody is you have to be willing to not only be corrected, but to correct other people. This is probably the most difficult one. Right? Nobody wants wants to be the bad guy. Right? Have you ever had, if you have kids, have you ever had that argument with your spouse of, you go get on to them. No, you go get on to them. No, you spank them. No, you spank them. Have you ever had that argument? No? In our house, it's just always... Dad's going to beat that tail. No, I'm just kidding. Um, in our house, we always know, like, I'm the one. I'm, I'm, I'm more the disciplinarian in our home. Um, and our kids know that if they want something, they go to Mama. Like, that's just it. If they can tell Mama that they love her and they give her a kiss on the cheek, they can get whatever they want. G2 the other day said, where's Mom? I said, why do you want to know where Mom is? He said, there's some stuff I want to get online. He said, I know you're not going to do it, so I'm going to go ask Mom because she'll do it for me. Because you're a sucker. But they know, they know. Um, it's important. Listen, it's important that we got to correct people that we're, that we're discipling. But listen, at the same time, you got to be open to correction. You got to be open to correction. I've got to be willing. I, I, if, if I go to, if I go to Jonathan, I say, Hey man, I, I've been having this, this issue lately, even though Jonathan, by all technical terms of, of order and rank in business, he's technically my subordinate in that he, he works for me and, and it's my signature on his paychecks, but. Even, even with that understanding, when I go to Jonathan, I have to submit my life to him when I say I've got an issue. And if Jonathan corrects me, I've got to be willing to take the correction. Because at the end of the day, I don't care who ranks higher. I care about my life being better, and that's what matters the most to me. I care about being free. I care about being, you know, above board, and that's what matters the most to me. And so I want to encourage you, be open to correction. But here's the thing. If you ever have to correct someone, make sure that correction comes from the word and not your opinion. Because the fact is your opinion might be wrong. I know mine is sometimes. And so I have to know if I correct somebody, it better be something that the word says. And there's plenty of times I'll tell people, hey, I don't think what you're doing is a good idea. But according to the word of God, it's not necessarily bad. But I'm just telling you right now, I don't think it's a good idea. But that's my opinion. But if it's something that someone's doing that is absolutely wrong according to the word of God, I'll straight up say, hey, what you're doing is wrong according to God's word. This is what the Bible says. In 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare or mature and equip his people to do every good work. It's important that we learn how to correct and receive correction. That's the hardest thing in this message, but for me anyways, I, I'm not good at that. I don't like that, but that's a necessary part of teaching someone. And then last but not least on this is love. Um, John fifteen seventeen. if you're going to teach somebody, if you're going to make a disciple, you've got to love that person. This is my command, love each other. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Can can I just say this? I know some people people are watching at home. I know people are on vacation. I know people are sick. I know all that kind of stuff. We've got to make it a point not to neglect meeting together. If you need to be discipled, you've got to meet with somebody to get it. That's That's important. That's That's important. And, And I want to encourage you guys. Make time to meet with somebody. If you need to be discipled, make time. If someone needs to be discipled and they're asking for your time, find a way to give it to them. Find a way. It's important to do that. Revelation 3.19 says, those I love, I reprove and discipline. So be, be zealous or passionate and repent. Jesus says, I discipline the ones I love. Correction is good. Teaching is good. Making a disciple is good. These are all the things that are necessary. Last thing, Matthew 28, 20, the very last thing that he says. So he's told us that he's got all the authority, therefore go. It's a commandment. He says, make disciples. In other words, it's a process. It's not a one-time thing, right? Disciples, we said, is not a convert. It's a lifestyle, right? It's a, it's a, it's a whole life deal. And, and then he says, we got to teach people. We got we to teach them with our words. We got to model it. We got to correct when necessary. We got to love them. But then last but not least, he says this in Matthew 28, 20. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's always with us. He's always with us. He's always with us, working in us and working beside us. I want to I read something to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. So the Corinthian church is super jacked up. Like, if you read your Bible and you get to 1 and 2 Corinthians, you just need to understand that the Corinthian church is really messed up. Like, they are hyper-spiritual and at the same time, hyper-sinful, right? Like, Paul is having to always correct them for sexual sin, and at the same time, they, they are so spiritual that they're speaking in tongues all the time in their services, and nobody knows what's happening. And so Paul's like, listen, i gotta, I got to pull you in on the sin, and i gotta, I got to rein you in on the spiritual, and we got to find some balance in here, because people need to get their lives right. So you need to understand the Corinthian church has got some... Weird stuff happening. One of the weird things they had happening is they started getting divided over preachers. So they had one group, the way that things worked is you would have these these preachers that would come through towns, a guy like Paul would go through on these journeys and he would go to cities, and so he would go to the city of Corinth. And while at Corinth, he would preach the gospel and a lot of people would get saved and he would start discipling them and developing them. But he would always have someone along with him, like a Timothy or a Titus, and he would drop that person off. He would say, okay, Titus, you're going to stay here, and you're going to disciple these people, you're going to pastor these people, and then I'm leaving to go to the next town. And so they would view Paul as this kind of spiritual father, the guy that brought the word to us initially. And, and, And yes, we've got Titus, or we've got Timothy, or we've got whomever as our pastor, but Paul is like our spiritual father. Well there was another guy that was doing the same kind of thing. His name was Apollos, and he's a great man of God. And so so Apollos had come through Corinth, and Paul had come through Corinth, and so these believers had found Christ under some of them under Paul and some under, some of them under Apollos. And so so they start getting into these arguments and these divisions. And and the Bible says that that they would say, I I, you know, serve Apollos, and someone would say, I serve Paul. And Paul gets mad at them. He's like, Y'all are stupid, like It's not about me or Apollos, it's about God anyway. So here's what he says in verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed is the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor labor for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. A couple of things I want you to notice here that, that here's how I want to end. I want you to notice this. You God will always bring people into your life. Divine appointments go to all nations. But sometimes people in your are in your life for a season. Sometimes you're in someone's life for a season, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe years. And you've got to be okay with the fact that you're not always going to be the mentor to that person that God may bring them in and bring them out and put them under someone else. I like the fact that Paul says, I may have planted the seed, but then Apollos came behind me and watered the plant. Like, yeah, there's times when I might plant the seed and someone else comes in and tends the garden. Like, that's okay. And listen, for you, I've had conversations with Christians all the time. And they said, oh, I just miss my old pastor. I just miss my old youth pastor. I miss my old Sunday school teacher. I miss my old small group leader. They really poured into my life. And I've just never been the same without them. What's happened is, is we've attached God to this person. Instead of seeing that they were my mentor for a season. And now I've got to find a new mentor. There's plenty of people that have been in my life that are no longer in my life. And that's okay. I've got new mentors now. I've got people helping me now and and developing me now. The other thing I want you to notice in this is that it says we are fellow workers with God. Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. When he says, I will be with you, it doesn't mean he's standing in the background somewhere watching you. It means this. It means He is working in people's lives right alongside you. It's not just me preaching up here. It's me preaching, using what God has given me. But at the same time, it's the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts and lives of people. It's not just the worship team playing a song. That's good. They need to do that. But it's also them playing alongside God, moving in the heart's people. In lives of people when you're mentoring somebody it's not just you by yourself when you're making that disciple when you're dealing with your kids or your family or you're at the gas station you may be watering a plant you don't know but it's God is there with you I love that Paul says we are God's fellow workers we work with him he's not behind us somewhere he's not ahead of us somewhere he's right there with us his presence is with us will not you stand up with me this morning Here's the cool thing about his presence. When he's with us and we're scared, I'm going to be honest with you. I get nervous sometimes talking to people. But the Bible says whenever we're in his presence that we have peace. We have peace in any storm. When, I'm, when I don't know what to say and I'm, I'm dealing with somebody and I'm loving on somebody and I'm helping somebody and I don't know what words to say. When I'm even talking to my own kids and I don't know what to say. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say in the right moment. Why? Because His presence is always with us. Why? Because we are co-workers together. This morning, before we end, I want you just to close your eyes for just a second. There's nothing spiritual or magical about closing your eyes. A matter of fact, the Bible says just the opposite. It says watch and pray. But today, I just want you to get away from all the distractions, the distractions of me, the distractions of the lights and the screens and the people around you. And just see, what is the Holy Spirit trying to say to you this morning? What is God trying to do in your life today? What is it that he wants to speak to your heart? Maybe today he's telling you that there are people in your life, there are divine appointments that you need to be mentoring, you need to be discipling, you need to be leading them on this journey. There may be some of you today that you're saying, you know what, I've got this issue in my life and I need somebody to help me walk through it. I've got this sin in my life and I don't know how to get rid of it and I need someone, I need a mentor. Like the Ethiopian said, how can I know unless somebody instructs me? Somebody's got to help me. Maybe you're not serving Jesus today. Maybe you haven't given him your life. You're not following him, but you need to this morning. If that's you today, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to not only pray to him, but I want to invite you to repent, to give him your life, to turn away from your sins, to pursue him with everything you've got. And hopefully this church can be a help and a blessing to help you in that pursuit of God. So let's just pray. You can pray on your own. I'm going to pray for you today. And God, I just pray for the people in this room. I pray for myself. I pray for those watching today. And first of all, if we're not serving you today, I pray that we would find a place of repentance. God, where we would turn away from our sins and we would turn towards you. God, where we would invite you to live inside of us. We would invite your spirit to live in us and through us. God, today where we would believe in you, that you are our Messiah, you're our savior. You can take away all of our sins if we ask you to. But you're also our Lord, that we can follow you and we can live like you and we can imitate you because you have set the example and the standard for living. So for those of us that may not be serving you today, but we have a desire to pursue you, to know you, I just pray that that prayer would be ours today, that, that we, would, we would ask you to forgive us, but at the same time, God, we would turn away from anything that's, that's not of you. And God, we would find somebody to help us. God, for those in the room today that need a mentor, that needed uh, someone to disciple them, I pray that you would help them to have that divine appointment. If they're they're rolling through life today like the Ethiopian and they're saying, I I know there's some changes, I know there's some things in my life that I need, but I don't know how to do it, God, I pray that you would bring that, that mentor alongside them and help them to put themselves in that person's life. And God, for those of us that, have walked around without purpose, without, without reproducing ourselves in others. God, there's so much frustration in that. I pray that you would help us to reproduce ourselves in others. The first command that you gave in Genesis chapter one was to go and be fruitful and multiply. God, that wasn't just about having babies. God, that was about reproducing ourselves spiritually in other people. So God, I pray that you would help us to walk in that commandment, in that lifestyle.